This is happening. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another week of The Bible Boys. My name is James. And I'm Pip. It's super exciting to be here. We're at Moore College. We're in the William Hodgson room That's right. Moore College. Very famous room, very colourful. That's right. So many things have happened in this room, like the creation of the 39 articles. Probably. Probably. If we're talking history. That's yeah, right. Probably. That's right. The 95 theses. You know, some people think that Martin Luther nailed them to the door at Wittenberg, but mm. he actually nailed it here uh, on this felt um, material way. He pinned it up. There were no pin boards <laughs> no. back in his day. He had to nail it to a wooden door. That's right. Um, which was the town notice board. Um, yes, 95 theses. I always wonder why not just do 100? You know, nice you, round number. You always that would have been good. You know, That's it. More compelling. <laughs> a nice, you know, here's 100 reasons why. That's right. That's know. right. And um, do you reckon if, Mon- if he was around today, would he be doing. Hey, you're right. <laughs> Who was that? That was my philosophy lecturer, David Honey. Just oh, uh, opened the door, said hello. Maybe we shouldn't be in here. <laughs> I don't know. Are we allowed to be in here? Do well, it says there's no meeting scheduled, so. Okay. Well, we'll continue. And if we get interrupted by um, the principal, I think that's where we draw the line. That's right. David Honey, he's a great guy. I go to yeah. church with him. Oh, uh, yeah, cool. he's, he's fantastic. We yes. do morning prayer on Tuesdays. We're not going to stop for David Honey. No, he's a lovely guy, but we're not. You know, we keep going. Room, you know? um, I was going to say, if Martin Luther was around today, do you reckon he'd be on BuzzFeed? Um, 95 no. reasons. Why, oh, right. I see what you mean. Like a listicle yeah. sort of thing. Number 81 will shock you. <laughs> <laughs> no, he'd make it more... Um, you know those uh, uh, Instagram posts where they go, um, you know, some sort of list, part one of seven? Mm, yeah. yeah. Yes. He, he'd do that. That's much more readable than a BuzzFeed, you know... Those, you know, 90, 95 list things, mm. no one reads the 95 mm. or the hundred, you know, top 100. They scroll to the 20 to 1. Mm, yes. They, I don't care what 100 to 21 is. I want to know what the top 20 is. Yeah. You know what I mean by this? I know pages. what you mean. I know what you mean. You know what one of my pet peeves is with like companies and social media, particularly like, um, you know, Christian mm. publications. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where they'll post on Instagram and they'll say, go check out our article. Yes. Two problems. First problem is you can't click on the link in an Instagram That's description. That's it. That's it. Second problem is don't direct me somewhere else. <laughs> I'm on Instagram because I want to be on Instagram. Just put it in here. Just put it on the That's thing. Right. Write it on the little image. That's right. Tell and me what you want to say. When someone goes, you know, link in bio. Now, mm. that might work if I'm already following you. But if this is a... A suggested post on Instagram. Mm. I only have time to scroll through the suggested posts. Yeah. I don't want to click into your profile. I'm not going to your bio. And Linktree? Yes. Come on. Yeah. Let's get real, people. And go plant a real tree. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> anyway, little pet peeves. Anyway, well, listeners, welcome. <laughs> um, to be clear, just, you know, so we're not offending any real uh, historians of church history. Yes, that's here. right. Martin Luther did not, in fact, pin up the 95 theses in this room. No, 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 That's no, right. no, no, And no, the 39 no. articles were not put together in this room. If you're new to this podcast, most of what we say is just, you, you don't really take it that seriously. That's right. But when we're talking about the Bible, which we'll do in a sec, we, we do want to take it seriously because right. we are the Bible boys. We, we love the Bible. Boys. The Bible right. is God's word yes. to us, or so we believe. Yes. Some people don't believe that. <laughs> 
<laughs> in which case, why are you listening to this podcast? In which case, we're very thankful that you're here doing investigative research That's into it. the Christian subculture. <laughs> which is a, is a debate topic. Yeah, go. Here's a debate topic. Christianity is a subculture within Australia today. Yes, yes. Are you affirmative or negative? Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a subculture. Well, genuine Christianity, you know, in terms of what you might call Christian culture. Yeah, there's still tenets of that. And, in, you know, we'll have to see what the 2021 census results say. Because the 2016 census results, what was it? The 51, 52% of Australians still identified as Christian, mm. you know? So there's some semblance of what we might call Christian values. Mm. I've heard I've heard this argument that our culture is so ingrained with Christian values that we take we don't even notice it. We take it for granted. Yes. Like charity, for example. You yes. Know, I was yes. Talk, talking to an atheist friend, and I said, "Name for me one charity that was founded on atheist grounds, mm-hmm. and not religiously motivated." Yes. And he, he was he said the Bill Gates Foundation. Oh yeah. And I thought, I don't know, maybe Bill Gates is an atheist, I'm not sure. But that's a good example. Yeah. I conceded that point. There you go. So you lost that argument. I lost that. <laughs> the point is a lot of them are there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, one one of the things I found really fascinating, so when I was at uni, one of the um my science uh, major was history and philosophy of science. Mm. And um I remember the first unit. It's a bit of a baptism through fire. It's called the birth of modern science. Okay. And the the lecturer, he is. It is a real baptism through fire because he totally annoys people. He anyway, he's great. I really like him. Mm. But one of the things that I really I learned through his historical overview was that universities, Christian idea, mm. hospitals for free. Is that true? Christian that, idea. Let me the Jew, the Jewish. Synagogue was a place of learning. Yes. Was that not uh, a But you see, so all right, I didn't know we were going to get into the weeds here, but he says learning centers had existed for centuries. Mm. The idea of the university mm. is this idea that there is a unity that connects all of knowledge. In the, that's why it's called a university. A universe. That's right. Itty. So his point is that this idea of a center of learning mm. that wasn't just about disparate sense uh, pieces of knowledge but bringing people together because knowledge is what connects us it was founded upon this idea that there is a source behind which all truth finds its unity mm. that source being god mm. and so in the university you had the the chief you know realm of knowledge which was theology and philosophy was the handmaiden of theology. Mm. And all other sources of knowledge found their unity in theology. Mm. And that idea, and also that this should be given to people um, uh, at the t- uh, not free at the time. Mm. <laughs> that came as a later development through the Sunday school public education movement. But the idea of the university... Um, was founded on Christian principles, for sure. That's it. And sometimes that comes through in the... If you look at the original motto of some universities... Oh, for sure. If you go to UNSW, yes. what is your original motto? I don't know. Look it up, I dare you. <laughs> I've just looked up the Sydney Uni original motto. Mm-hmm. If you if you had to guess what it would be, what do you think the original motto would be? Sandstone rocks. Sandstone rocks. You're not too far away. It's <laughs> the stars change... The mind remains the same. Hey, there you go. Which sounds like a 
I mean, if the mind stays the same, yes. Why go to university? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what, what are you, why are you spending tens of thousands of dollars here, right? It sounds like a strange motto. The stars change, yes. the mind stays the same. That's it. So, okay, well, that's inspiring. Fun times. Um, yes. Anyway, let's get into some Bible, that's I right. reckon. Let's talk about what you've been... We're back. This is week two of yes. Theological College. We're, mm. we're more college students here in Sydney mm. for all of our overseas listeners. We do have overseas listeners. Believe it or not. Oh, do we actually? We do actually. Does that come up on the stats? <laughs> yeah. What countries? Oh, a bunch. I'm not going <laughs> to... Let's get to the... Bar. All right, all right. What have you been learning through college yes. uh, this week? Um, bits and bobs. This and that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is the riveting content that our listeners come for. No, so, so at the moment, let me list my subjects, okay? So right, we've got go. Old Testament. Yes. New Testament. Greek. Hebrew. Yes. Church history. Yes. Philosophy. Yes. Doctrine. Seven subjects. New Testament. Oh, wait, I'll remember. <laughs> um, so, okay, so we've, we've been learning, we've been looking at John's Gospel. Yes. Um, next semester we'll be looking at 1 Corinthians. We've been looking at um, uh, 1 Samuel. We've been, uh, in Hebrew, actually, we're getting into Jonah. Oh, wow. Now, Jonah's a very interesting book. Now, last week I was talking a little bit about, you know, how we can view things as history, mm-hmm. theology, or we can ask literary questions. Yeah, yeah, seeing the Bible as literature. Yeah, Jonah is is a great um, kind of book to look to look to ask literary questions because there's lots of, like patterns and things going on in, in Jonah mm. which we're digging into. Um, if you read Jonah, it's like a little. It's it. it um, is it historical? Good question. Mm-hmm. Is it theological? Yes, definitely. Literarily, what do we learn from it? Well, um, the the author uses a lot, like lots of kind of. Uh, I guess irony, or, mm. or almost like it's almost like a comedy. It's mm. almost like a comedy um, that Jonah runs away, you know, runs away from his his mission, got what God has sent him to do. Mm. Runs, sinks in the belly, vomited on the land, mm. goes back, preaches. Dev, he's really distraught. The the short look at look at the sermon that Jonah preaches mm. in mm. Jonah. Yes. The Jonah ser- chapter 3. He doesn't mention... Uh, now, okay, what we get in the biblical account might just be a little snippet of what we get. Sure. Um, so if you go to Jonah 3, mm-hmm. I think I can remember... It's so short I can just remember it, but you can confirm if you're there. Is it um, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overturned? In, yes. In yet 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. Yeah, that's it. So he goes around it's saying... one line. Yeah, it's one line. Yes. There's no God. <laughs> doesn't, you know, doesn't talk about God's, you know, grace or um, doesn't give the kind of biblical theology that we might expect in an evangelistic uh, talk. Mm-hmm. It just says in 40 days, he'll be destroyed. Now, there's probably more to it, you know, that he actually said, but that's what we get. Yes. And Nineveh, this great city, mm. just transforms yeah they just repent they repent wow and jonah's devastated and spoilers oh yeah spoilers sorry about that (laughs) continue and and god i feel like god kind of you know play doesn't he plays with jonah a little bit he kind of shows jonah the hypocrisy of his ways Mm. so he like you know raises up a plant Mm. and then kind of makes the plant wither yes and you know he's kind of saying why are you, you you know you care about the plant you know, you, you, you care, uh, should I, and then he kind of goes to, should I not be concerned about the great city of, of Nineveh? Mm, mm. Um, so it's like, Jonah, your priorities are wrong. 
Um, the last line is very interesting. Do you want to just read the last line? Yeah, sure. Jonah chapter 4, verse 11. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? I love that last little bit. You know, you've got this great final line. Should I not care about this city full of people who don't know their right hand from their left? Full stop. No, not full stop. They've also got lots of animals. <laughs> okay. Yes, I've thought about that before. Why? I don't understand the animal bit. Well, I mean, I'd be interested to know, have you guys looked at it in class nah, yet? We've, we've literally just started. We oh, haven't sure. even, like the stuff I was sharing about the plant and stuff, yeah, we haven't sure. really looked at any of that. Yes. Um, and I can pro- you could probably tell that by my yeah, recounting yeah, yeah. of it. But... um. Yes, I don't really know why the animals are such a big deal. Maybe it's because animals were such a big deal back then. Mm. And so a country, like a, a land's kind of value mm. in human eyes yeah, yeah. was measured not just by how many people they had, but how many, how much resource they had. Like we look at it, you know, we talk about countries as like, you know, this country has, you know, 20, you know, Australia has 27 million people and so much uh, gold, you know, so much gold, so much... Do we have gold? I don't know. Yeah, we've got we've got gold. Well, we used to at least. And we've got so, we have iron ore, and and we have such a strong export, you know, export yes. industries. Yes. You know, that's kind of we sum up the value of the economic value sure, like that. Yes. Should we not care about that mm. as a country? Mm. Um, maybe that's a maybe that's an idea that is correct. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Yeah. My, my brief thought, which I don't think we should go down this rabbit hole. Mm. I think that throughout the minor prophets. Uh, Joel especially, but also here hinted at in Jonah, you see uh, God's concern not just for the people, but you see God's concern for the land and his creation, Mm. which, uh, at least in covenantal terms, brings us back to the covenant with Noah, where God's concern and his promises that he makes to all of humankind in the the covenant through Noah in the end of Genesis chapter 8 and Genesis Mm. 9 aren't just for the people, but it's also for the seasons, for the earth, and by implication for the animals as well. Mm. That's a thought that I've had. That's interesting. Yeah. Anyway, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) You accept it? I accept it. Sure. That's good. What what have you been learning at college? Yeah. Well, I want to just share briefly on Thursday, we had a great lecture on hospitality. Uh, in the first century and in the as uh, an important category in the New Testament. Now, when I think hospitality, I think, oh, well, I have some friends who work in the hospitality industry, mm. so they learn about catering, they learn about how you set a room up, they learn, you know, what do you think of when you think of hospitality? I think the same thing. I think of my first job mm-hmm. where I worked at Max Brenner. Right. Uh, yes. You know, and I would carry those trays full of, yep. you know, coffees and stuff, and I would spill a lot of them. Yes. You also tell me that one time you set the machine off and it exploded onto the floor. Yeah, I, I dropped a. I, I had an eight-hour shift. The first five minutes, I spilled a whole lot of custard, <laughs> and I spent the rest of the, my shift cleaning up my own mess. And I, I didn't last long in that job. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> anyway, so hospitality. Yeah, that's right. So um, I, it was an amazing lecture. I really appreciated it. 8 a.m. on Thursday morning. You know, you don't expect much. Mm. I, I always, I, mm. you know, I look forward to these lectures, but I was going, oh, 8 a.m. Thursday morning. What are we going to get? This is great. So let me just share two things about hospitality. First of all, hospitality was an expectation in the first century where the stranger was invited to become a guest and the movement could lead them to become a friend. So it's the movement from stranger to friend. 
Now, this is exactly what Jesus models for us in welcoming us, us from strangers who are far away, brought not just into uh, guest form, but into family. Mm. Think about Ephesians 2 language, that once you were foreigners and strangers far off, but now you've been brought near, mm. right, as fellow citizens. Um, yeah. And so Jesus has modeled hospitality for us, and it wasn't through, you know, um, having a nice spread mm. on a table, mm. um, you know, uh, what he does is he he brings us into the family of God. Mm. And so hospitality, to be a hospitable person modeled after Jesus, is not so much about how um, nice your home may be or how much entertainment you have in the living room. Mm. It's actually about the movement from bringing someone who was a stranger mm. and bringing them into friend or family. Nice. And so the second thing that uh, we were thinking a bit about is what does it mean in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, when it says the overseer must be hospitable? Mm. Is it that the overseer uh, needs to always have their home open uh, with food for people from church? On one level, yeah, that's a really wonderful thing to do. But the core of it isn't that you're a very good host. The core of it is whether or not you are someone who engages with strangers and brings them in. Mm. And so one of the challenges we were thinking a bit about was if your minister or your church leader only ever talks to church people or invites church people over, but maybe they don't have newcomers or they don't seek to, to invite um, strangers in. Um, and I guess a litmus test it was, it's such a low bar, but a litmus test that was put out was, um, if you bring a newcomer to church, are you happy to introduce them to your minister mm. or church leader? Mm. If the answer is no, because you don't know how that minister would go with this newcomer, that's a problem. Mm. They're probably not hospitable. Mm. That's interesting. Um, anyway, that was a challenge that was put yeah. out there. So lots more to say, but I found that really helpful. That is interesting. That is interesting. I'm, I'm wondering, like, is hospitality, like... Um, you know, also meeting people's physical needs as they, like, think about Old Testament yes. and, you know, when people are traveling around and they need a lodging place for the night yes, yes. and maybe they need even some, like, you know, assistance if they've hurt themselves or, you know, yes. they've lost clothes along the way. So, if I'm like meeting people's needs, that kind of hospitality. Yes. Um, because I think there there is, like, some connection with the word, like, hospital mm. in a sense of, like, you know, help helping people. What what they like? What do people need? Like hospital, obviously, we think medical yes. needs. Yes. But that sense of like, you know, just meeting a person where they're at, yes. wel- welcoming them in, saying, "How can I meet your needs? Yeah. How can I welcome you?" you we in? talked about that in the lecture as yeah, well. Nice. Yeah, for sure. Nice. Yeah. Good. Good times. Good times. Now we're going to go to our spot. Yes. And uh, Tim from Nova Scotia writes in. Oh my goodness, Nova's you said Nova Scotia. Yeah. That's Scotland, isn't it? No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> what is Nova Scotia? Nova Scotia is one of the provinces on the east of now, Canada. Now Scotia means darkness. Oh, does it? I think so. I didn't know that. Nova means it's a radio station. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> now go on, go on. Okay. Go on. Tim from Nova Scotia. Tim, not his real name. Nova Scotia, not his real location. Okay. Anyway, Tim from Nova Scotia writes in, says, Hi, Bible boys. Love listening to you guys and appreciated what you mentioned about God's glory in your latest episode. I'm wondering if you could explain the theology underpinning the idea that all things are for God's glory. It's something I've been grappling with as I grow in my faith and as I grow closer to God. 
I find that when I'm thinking at a very superficial level, emotionally rather than rationally, I don't naturally want to bring glory to God. I do desire for others to know Christ. I long for the peace and true rest we will have in Christ, and I want to know Christ more. But there seems to be a disconnect in my head between these thoughts and the statement, all glory be to Christ. Maybe it's because I've heard the phrase so much it's lost its meaning. Either way, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thanks in Christ, Tim. Nice. That's a great question. Yes. And I, so we talked a bit last week about, um, was it, it was last week, yeah, right? That's about it. Uh, God's, you know, and this uh, I was talking. This is a classic John Piper line. You know, God, God does all things for His glory, and that's not a like a megalomaniac thing. It's actually a good thing. The only person who should do that is God, mm-hmm. because the purpose of life is that we. Uh, you know, look on his glory and appreciate his glory and glorify him. Mm. God is most glorified when we're most satisfied in him. That's All, the Piper line. Yeah, that's yeah. the Piper line. Um, and I was saying last week, I am, one, a little bit confused about how that works, but also not entirely convinced that that's the, um, that's like the summary purpose statement that the Bible presents yes like i'm sure i think it's one of the purpose statements mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm just not i just don't really know if that's the sum total of it yeah yeah um and i totally resonate with this like this sort of why just why if god is would you know if god is self-existent mm. if god is self-sustaining doesn't need anything mm. why then does he need to create people to um glorify him mm. And if he doesn't need to do that, then why does he do it? Yeah. Like, is it a... Because God does not do trivial things. Mm. God never does trivial things. And so why would God do something that he doesn't have to do? Mm. Those are those are pretty big, big, <laughs> pretty big questions. That's um, right. Uh, yeah. So, I don't know. What are your... What's your... Where does your brain so, go? So, today's spot... Is on? Is, ...is not to answer all of this. Okay. But I want to think a bit about God's glory. Cool. And so, I thought that we... What I said we might do today is a spot on all things being done for God's glory. Like, yeah. why does God do anything? It's for His glory. And I realized that we need to do a prior question, which is, what is God's glory? Nice. So, uh, today's spot is on what is God's glory? Yeah. And I'm going to touch briefly on some of what Tim's question is on on why we might want to glorify God. Yeah. And we might not we might touch briefly on on God doing all things for his glory, but maybe for another time. Let's let's start with what is God's glory. Yeah. Sound good? Sounds good. Great. So, let's start with uh the Bible. So, what I want to do is I want to open up to Psalm 29. But let's talk briefly about the word glory. Uh in the Old Testament, the word glory or the word that's translated glory or um uh, signifies glory is a word that means heaviness or weightiness, right? So I think about Back to the Future, where uh, Marty McFly, played by Michael J. Fox, would say, "Oh, this is heavy, Doc." He doesn't talk like that. But the point being that when something's very serious, he'd say, "This is heavy." Uh, there's a funny moment where uh, Marty goes back to 1955, and Doc says, "What? Why do you always say things are heavy? Uh, is there is there a gravity problem in the 1980s?" <laughs> <laughs> the idea being that Marty, whenever he talks about something serious happening, he talks about it being heavy. Mm. But this is the same idea from the word. Um, uh, God's glory is his heaviness, his weightiness. Now, are we saying that God has a weight problem? Mm. Well, no. What we're saying is that God is not light. He's not something to be thrown about. He is serious. He is weighty. He is significant. 
But that in and of itself is not a good enough definition. What do we mean when we talk about God's glory? Now, the Bible describe God, uh, describes God as glorious in lots of places. I think Psalm 29 is a really helpful psalm that helps us think a bit about the dimensions of God's glory. And we'll come back to it twice. So here's the first time. Pip, could you read the first two verses of Psalm 29? Sure. It says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. There we go. So we see a few things here. First of all, the psalmist, David, he's talking about how glory belongs to God. In fact, it is right and good to what he says, ascribe glory to God because he is glorious. Mm. Um, Verse two, ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due his name. In other words, not only is God glorious, but but it is right for us to, to recognize God is glorious. Then in the second part of verse two, I think we get a working definition of God's glory. Mm In the second part of verse 2, it says, Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Now, notice what's going on here. God is holy, meaning he is separate. He is other. He is majestic beyond comparison. And the splendor of that, the radiance of that, the display of that, the magnificence of that, I think, is glory. Mm. So in other words, if I could put it in one line, glory is the display or the splendor of God's holiness. Mm. Now, think about how we use glory for a second, right? So, um, uh, you know, if, if you're playing, you play, do you still play futsal on, on Thursday nights? Occasionally, yeah. Occasionally. I don't know if you've ever thrown the line, you're like, all right, guys, we've got to go for glory. Go for glory. Go yeah. for glory. That's yeah. right. And what's the idea there? The idea is, um, you know, we're going to win this. And when we win it, right, it's going to be glorious because mm. we're going to bask in the victory. We're going mm. to see this victory. Yeah. Uh, you see an amazing sunset or an amazing sunrise. You, dis- you see the display of that awesomeness. And what do you think? glorious Mm. so i think that uh, a working definition can be that when you see the awesomeness of god or the display or the splendor of god's awesomeness his holiness that is glory Mm. now you get a hint of this um, throughout the bible but a really key part is exodus 34 so let's come to exodus chapter 34 Um, because earlier in Exodus uh, 33, um, Moses has asked God to please show me your glory. All right. Mm. Um, he says, show me your glory um, in Exodus 33, verse 18. Then in Exodus 34, um, notice what happens. So, Pip, can you read verses uh, 5 to 7? Okay. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. There you go. Now, notice what's going on here. Exodus 33, Moses says, show me your glory. Mm. And then in Exodus 34, the 
um, God acts on this request. And what does he do? He passes by in front of Moses and he proclaims and reveals who he is. Mm. So he says his name and then he also talks about his character. Mm. Because you see, I think this fits with what we're doing is with this working definition that the glory of God is the display of who he is or the splendor of his holiness. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, before we move on, does this make sense as a definition? Yeah, it, it makes sense. It's it's still kind of, it's it's kind of abstract still in my mind. Yeah. Yeah, like even the idea of splendor celebration um I guess yeah, it's it's a bit abstract. I was wondering about Exodus, where, where after he says, show me your glory, God says, um, I will make all my goodness pass before you mm. and proclaim my name. Yes. But then in verse 20, he says, but you can't see my face. Yes. So I've wondered, is that God saying, I won't show you my glory. I'll show you my goodness or I'll show you an aspect of my glory. Mm. But you're not going to see the whole thing. Yes. Because you can't do that and live. Ah, yes. Is that? Uh, well, I'm going to come to that in a little bit, but it's related to, well, I, I think what's going on here is God saying, I'm going to show you my glory, but I can't show you my full glory. Mm, yeah. Okay. Because if you saw my, if you fully saw the splendor of my awesomeness, yeah. you would not live. You just grumble. That's right. Mm. Yeah. So I, and I'm going to come back to this concept very, very soon. Yeah. Cool. So um, God is glorious, meaning that he emanates awesomeness like when we see god when when you um uh, when you perceive god when it's just amazing every single time in the bible um, some manifestation of god appears um light blinding light is is sort of the image here um this radiance and the idea here is that this is the glory of god because it's the display of god Mm. now in the New Testament, uh, that glory, that display of God's awesomeness is given a name and a shape because it's given a person. Mm. And that person is Jesus. Mm. So if you come with me to John chapter 1. Yeah. <clears throat> John chapter 1, we're going to take a look at verse uh, 14. Yeah. Um, can you read John chapter 1 verse 14? Yeah, it says... And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Hmm. And so this is an amazing line that we get from, from John's gospel, where what it's saying is that we have seen this glory. This glory is of the son. Hmm. And this son um, uh, is from the father. Hmm. And so, in um, just a few verses later, in verse 18, it says that no one's ever seen the Father, but if you've seen the Son, um, you, you know the Father, because he is in closest relationship with him. Mm. I think what the implication here is saying is that Jesus is the way in which we see the awesomeness of God. Jesus is the splendor of God's holiness. Because if you see Jesus, you're seeing the perfect representation of who God is. Mm. This is what the writer of Hebrews is getting at, I think, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. So in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, I'll read this one. It says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory 
and the exact representation of his being. Mm. Because you see, if you want to know God's holiness, if you want to know God's awesomeness, if you want to know what God is like, if you want to know who God is, you want to see that display, look no further than Jesus. Mm. That's why we can rightly say Jesus is the glory of God, Mm. which is so strange, right? But I think what that does is it gives us a concreteness to this concept. Because in the Old Testament... Not to say that in the Old Testament you couldn't already talk about the splendor of God's holiness, you know, the display of his awesomeness, this is glory. But I think that in the New Testament we have something, shall I say, more concrete. To see the glory of God, to make much of the glory of God, is actually to see Jesus and to make much of Jesus. Mm. Because Jesus is the perfect representation, the perfect display of God's glory. Yeah, yeah. Which then brings me to what you were talking about with Moses. Because you see, Moses only saw a shadow of God's glory. Or or shall we say, um, a a glimpse of it. But we who see Jesus actually see a a fuller picture. I think that's what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. When he talks about, you know, um, Moses saw a glory that was veiled. We see a glory unveiled. We see a greater glory with unveiled faces. Um, mm. uh, we see Jesus, uh, who is the glory yeah. of God. And, but, and yet, for the Christian, there is still this waiting of we will see God more fully. Yes. We will see him face to face. That's it. Although God doesn't have a face. <laughs> so yes yeah and this is another this is something i want to talk about is like the the imagery that's used to talk around about glory mm. and the word glory even itself being a word that evokes imagery in the mind as being like god's way to communicate to us like this is this is what it's all about yeah right um yeah but but yeah no you, you go on so so is that where we're, we're going we're like, going yeah. there as well now because you're right because even now as christians we, we have seen Jesus, we know Jesus, or at least we, ha- we follow the witnesses who saw him directly, right? That's a 1 John 1. But 1 John 3, verse 2, we do see this promise, a promise of a future greater display of glory, or at least a greater perception of mm. glory. Mm. So 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Mm. And so there's a lot going on in this verse. But this idea that, well, you know, back in Exodus 33, God told Moses, you can't see my full glory. Because if, if you see my face, you, you will not live. Even now, we don't yet see the unveiled, complete, total face-to-face, you know, glory of Christ but we will one day. And here in 1 John chapter 3, part of what's going on in this verse and the surrounding context is this idea that we will be sinless as well. Uh, because we still have, you know, we still sin, um, there, there is still a barrier to us seeing Christ face to face, but we will one day when Jesus returns and we're fully resurrected with, with sinless, you know, sinless bodies, we will see Christ face to face. And so there is still a greater display of God's awesomeness to come mm. um, in the future. Mm. So there you go. There's a bit of a picture of yeah. glory. Yeah. I've got more to say. Um, but I hope that brings us, uh, that gives us a bit of a better understanding of what God's glory is. It's 
it's the display of his awesomeness, the yeah. splendor of his holiness. It's it's seeing how great God is. That's yeah. what God's glory yeah. is. Um, and we talk about glory in, in that way uh, all the time, right? Um, maybe what might help some people is uh, where you find glory as a hard concept to think about. Just replace it with honor. Because mm. when we honor someone, what we're actually doing is we are giving them attention where we're pointing people's attention to the goodness of someone mm. right so can can you be honored if you're just by yourself on a des- desert island not really you need someone there to to see you in an elevated status for you to be honored and i think that's like conceptually that's where it gets tricky for me yes in terms of you know the question of why what's the point what's the meaning of life why are we here yes that conceptually for me is tricky to square with god's self-existence mm. uh, self-sufficiency yes and and you know people have debated this and, and wrestled with this why did god create people did mm. he have to create people is mm. there something about god which means that he had to create us mm. And if so, yes, that's really strange. Yes. Well, now let's come yeah. to the word glorify. Okay. So we've talked about God's glory. What does it mean to glorify God? Right. Now, this is where I, I one of my favorite John Piper illustrations comes in, mm. where he talks about the difference between a microscope and a telescope. So um, I, I really like this. So he says, what does a microscope do? Well, a microscope, uh, you use it when there's something very small. And what you need to do is you need to make it bigger than it is so you can see it. Mm. And so is glorifying God that he doesn't have that much awesomeness. He doesn't have that much, um, you know, holiness. We need, oh, he doesn't have that much honor. We need to add honor to him. Mm. We need to add awesomeness to him. We need to make God seem bigger than he actually is. If so, then God is no longer self-sufficient. Yeah. God is no longer self-existent. There's something deficient in God. He needed to create people to add to his awesomeness. Yeah. That's not what the Bible teaches. Mm. Instead, it's more like a telescope. You see, what are you, what are you doing when you use a telescope? Well, you've got a massive star or a supernova or a planet that is actually really massive. But the problem is that with our eyes, um, they're not that powerful. And so we can't see it. It's actually big and huge and massive. The problem is us. And so I like the illustration because I think that it squares with what the Bible says about glorify. So what does it mean to glorify God? I think what it is, is it's bringing to focus, bringing to attention, pointing people to the awesomeness of God that's already there. Mm. And so why did God create, right? This was the big question that I said we don't have time to fully explore. Yeah, yeah. But I think a, a simple first answer is so that people could see his awesomeness, so that people could observe the splendor of his holiness, and also so that people, this is, you know, a loaded line now, so that people could enjoy his his awesomeness, his mm-hmm. holiness. So I think what it means to glorify God isn't to, to add honor to God, to, to give him um, something that isn't already his, what it means to glorify God, it means to draw attention to how awesome God is. Mm. To, to point people's attention to how awesome he is. Yeah. 
Does that help in terms of a, a uh, It does help. Yeah. I, I guess it's, it's you know, in the, in the day-to-day of yes. life, in the humdrum of life, there is always going to be that kind of little bit of existential angst where it's like, yeah, like, am I needed? Did, did God need to create me? Mm. If not, why did he create me? Yes. If he's like, if he's created me as a as one of a, a creative pursuit. Yes. Like that God didn't need to necessarily, but he's done it just because he's creative, and that's just one like abs- that's like one absolute of whose character mm. that he creates. Um. Then what? Like, what does that say about me? Like, how how does that change the way I, I look at myself? Yes. Um. And I think for me, there's always going to be that question of like, like why, mm. like that. You know, you can you can be, a, you know, like kids do, and keep asking why, why, yes. why, why. Yes. And I don't know if we'll ever have an answer. Like, okay, you've presented a compelling. The well, a I have compelling more to say. I need answer. to go back to Psalm yeah. 29 in a sec, but yeah. yes, I think there's still that, and and that's why people still debate mm. this. Even yeah, Christian people still debate. Yeah. What is the meaning? Because it goes back to who is God. Yes. It goes back to, um, yeah, like what does God do out of nece- like necessity? Like what does God have to do? Like yes. what are the first principles of His character yes. that drive Him to do certain things? Because I think there there is this logical tension. Yeah. That he doesn't do anything randomly. Yeah. Doesn't do anything in vain. Yeah. And yet, when you think about what human beings are. And the world and the universe in which we find ourselves, mm. um, it seems like, yes, like one possible way that God would be glorified, that pe- that His creatures would, you know, know His glory. But a lot of it does seem a little bizarre, mm. you know. Yeah. Well, That's, this yeah. is where I think the self-existence of God, the fact that God doesn't need anything outside of Himself, is so helpful, because. If God needed us, right? Let's say God was lacking in glory, mm. right? There's not a lot of awesomeness that's there. There's not a lot of, you know, display of awesome, you know. Then he made us because he needs us. And so our entire existence is there to give God something that is deficient in him. But because God is self-existent and he doesn't need us, that means that he didn't create us because he needs us. He created us because he wants us. Yeah. So if I can put it this way, I think that God didn't create us because there was something deficient in him. God created us because there's something deficient in us. Namely, that we are not seeing the, the glory of God. Mm. God didn't create us because he needed us to add to his glory. Mm. God created us because we are not dis- seeing his awesomeness. He created us to see and to, to enjoy and to um, experience his awesomeness. Yeah, yeah, but there, uh, but there is still something a little bit bizarre about that, is, isn't there? Like, depends on what you mean by bizarre, right? Because I think this is the the radical truth of the Bible that God didn't need us, and yet He loves us. Mm. And if you try to put a logical, if you want to say a why to love, right? Why does God want to give yeah, me His yeah. attention? You're asking the wrong question there because it, it because when you ask the why question, if you're looking for an answer that justifies it, then there's a cause and effect reason. You know, if this is why does God love me, yeah, and you give any answer, then 
what it comes down to is, well, then there was some requirement I needed to fulfill in order for God's love to be put on me. But if it's, no, there was no need on God's part. It's a pure desire for us. Mm. That doesn't make any sense, does it? Um, No, no. And and I think that's part of what you're hitting there, if I've... You know, I've captured it correctly from the Bible. Is it is grace is grace does not make sense. You know, God's favor does not make sense. Yes, God's desire for us does not make sense. Let me quick. Let me quickly ask you this. Yes, right? is there room? Do you think as as part like pastors or as teachers, is there room to say, um, I don't actually know. Like when when we ask the question, why did God create us? There is room to say, I don't know the base. There is something about that answer that I don't know, that we don't have access to. There is something in God's purposes that we don't know. And we may never know what we do know is what we have. Yes. What we experience and and kind of, there is, there is stuff that we know, but there's also a whole lot that we don't know. Yes. And the question of like, what, why, why did God make us? There's a way we can express it that makes some kind of logic that we need to just live with. But there's also kind of this this level of mystery that we can understand. Like, we can see the mystery. We can see what we don't know. Mm-hmm. There is this question of, like, why did God create us if he didn't have to create us? Yes. Okay, I don't really know. Yes. But that's God's prerogative. That's God's, um, you know, that's that's God's choice to yeah. do that. Yeah. I like to use the word prerogative. <laughs> it's a good word. I don't actually know what I mean. But, uh, <laughs> I've heard other people use it. Uh, I've used it's it. Choice, essentially. It's choice, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. It's God's choice to, to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And why someone does, why someone makes a choice, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But they've done it. Well, yes. I'm going to say yes. There's so much room for us to say we don't know. This is where, though, last week, my theory comes in, where I think the Bible does say more about this okay. than we have time to go through here. Okay. And it comes down to the Father's love for the Son and his desire to build the church. Mm. Um, Ephesians has so much we could say here about, you know, God um, foreordaining things for the praise of his glorious grace, God before the foundation of the world, you know, choosing his beloved son and a people for his son, uh, God wanting to display his manifold wisdom through the church to the rulers and authorities, God appointing Christ. There's so much that yeah, Ephesians yeah. says, yeah. Um, which this is why I was saying the whole, you know, why, like, it, glory as the purpose for God, which God created all things. That's a bigger topic. Yeah. Because today we're just trying to define glory. A topic that I want to tackle is, is at some point, is God's condescension. Yeah. You know, we talked a bit about this. Like, God condescends to, to, does he, does he tell us everything there is? Yeah. Or does he tell us some things? Yeah. That we should know in order to live the way that he wants us to live. And for our listeners, when we say condescension, we're not saying that God does baby language to us. Yeah. Well, well, <laughs> actually, one level, like there, yes, there is, he does human language. Yeah, he does. And so, you know, as, as, you know, one thing I've been thinking recently is like the Bible, God's and, and, you know, the, the death of, of Jesus and, and the events of history. Mm. We often say there are ways that God lets us get access to him, mm. but actually there are also ways that God gets access to us. Yes. You know, yes, the yes. Bible is how God gets access to our brains mm. and to get through to us. And it's like, so God stoops down mm. to kind of be able to talk to us. Mm. But my question, I guess my question is, how far does he stoop down? Yeah. yeah. Does he stoop all the way down? Or does he stoop to a level where it's like, this is what you 
need to know to live your lives in the yeah. way. But there's still going to be mystery that you have to live with and faith comes in and that's part of our, our faith. Our live faith is to kind of hold this mystery and be okay with it. Yeah, no, yeah. I, th- I think that's really helpful. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, the last thing I want to say yeah. is just going back to Psalm 29, I think that, um, and going back to Tim's question about, you know, in the end, well, why? Why do I want to glorify God, right? Um, I want to give two reasons from Psalm 29. Um, really, I could do three, but let's do two mm. for the second time. First one is that um, it is good and right to, to acknowledge how awesome God is. It is good and right to acknowledge how awesome God is. Um, I remember when Avengers Endgame came out a few years ago. Uh, all these friends of mine, they were just going, this is the most amazing film ever. You have to look at it. You have to watch it. You have to go see it. Um, whenever, you know, uh, I'm on tennis TV, on YouTube or Instagram, when um, uh, there's an amazing shot, uh, you know, people want to share it. It gets lots of likes. We are, and this is a loaded term, but we are worshipping people. We uh, worship, the word comes from worth-ship. The idea of ascribing attention and honour to things that we think deserve it, are worth it. We do it every day. When you talk about how your weekend was, when you talk about how great a coffee was, we are always ascribing worth to things that we think are awesome. Mm. It is good and right to ascribe awesomeness and worth to that which is truly awesome and worth it, Mm. which is God. Mm. And so I guess one answer I want to say to Tim is, why do you want to glorify God? Why do you want to draw attention to him? Because he is the one who most absolutely deserves it. Mm. It is good and right to do to give him the honor that is due his name. Yeah. Nice. The second one is that God's glory benefits us. And so you get that at the end of Psalm 29. Can you read 10 to 11 as we draw the spot to a close? Yeah, sure. It says, The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Mm. God's glory, the display of his awesomeness, isn't just something that's out there and unrelated to you. God's glory, time and time again, is manifested in blessing his people. And we see that here in Psalm 29 with giving strength to his people, giving um, protection to his people. We see it most chiefly in Jesus Christ. The glory of God is what saved you. The glory, and, and so it is good and right for us to respond to that glory by drawing attention to it. Mm. And so uh, just last line to say here, really, what does it mean in your day-to-day life? If you live your life, you know, your words, your actions, trying to draw attention to God, pointing to God, showing how awesome God is in your life, that's glorifying God. And it's a right response to how he has blessed you. Mm, nice. There you go. Good. Thanks, man. The that's long helpful. spot. Hopefully yeah. it was helpful. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, hopefully that's helpful. And hopefully that's helpful for Tim from Nova Scotia as well <laughs> in his questions. That's right. Hey, I'd love to go to Nova Scotia one day. Wait, it is Scotland, isn't it? No, it's Canada. Canada. <laughs> it's, I think, it's I might like be wrong It's like Scotland about of Canada. Is it? Uh, it is to... It is, get... It's the eastern suburbs of Canada. <laughs> okay. 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 Um, but I feel like it's the furthest away from here that you can get to. Nova Scotia. I think. I might be wrong about that. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Let's play Guess Something. Guess Something. We're going to play Guess Which. Okay. Inspired by your idea to play Guess Which Bible Book. Yes. Uh, we're going to do that again. And you've got 
Do we say seven or eight? eight? Uh, I think we said seven. Okay. But I was thinking about it. It's quite hard to do it in seven, but we got to do it. Can you do it? We, can you do it? Let's see. That's the question. So, listeners, if you missed last week, guess which? It's a variation of guess who? It's guess which book of the Bible? Uh, and today, Pip has a book of the Bible. Mm. And I've got seven questions to try and get it. Mm. Could we say... No, no, no. Let's just do seven questions. Let's just yep. do it. All right, here we go. Um, is it a New Testament book of the Bible? Yes. Okay. Is it an epistle or a gospel? Is that a yes or no question? Yeah. Is it an epistle or a gospel? Yes. Okay. Um, does Paul have something to do with this epistle or gospel? Yes. Okay. Um, does Jesus show up in this epistle or... Wait, excuse me. Does the... No, how do I word this? See, I'm trying to narrow it down. Mm, mm. This is why I've got the or question, uh, the or word in here. Yeah. Um, uh, okay, Paul has something to do with it. Um, is it an epistle? Yes. Okay, cool. Nice. Narrow that down. How do we think about these now? Uh, is it a pastoral epistle? Um, so no, 1 Timothy, 2 no. Timothy, Titus. Okay. Oh, it's getting, getting tense. Is Paul rebuking the church in this epistle? Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. Ish. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm not going to get this. It's one of the more. Oh, I'll give you a hint. It's one of the more negative ones. Sure. In terms of like the spectrum of positive and negative. Okay. All right. Now, well, I'm on my seventh question. You got to take a stab. Take Take a stab. Take a stab. So negative. Negative ish. Yeah. 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 Yes, yes. Um, look, what do we got here? We've got so many I can choose from. <laughs> um, oh, great. Okay. All right. I'm going to go. It's either 1 or 2 Corinthians or Galatians. And so I just got to throw it out there. I'm going to say, is it uh, Galatians? Yes. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Well done. Seven questions. Yeah. This is fun. That's good. That's good. That's good. Because I was thinking, I was thinking, oh, New Testament. Oh, that's too narrow. He'll get that. But then actually Paul's epistles. Yeah. It's like one big category right there with a few options. So, mm, mm. I really didn't think I was going to get that. Yeah. I mean, but you got there in the end. How good. How good. It's a cool variation. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Listeners, if you have more variations on guests or game or something, please feel free to email us like Tim from Nova Scotia did Mm. at the Bible Boys. at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. I almost forgot the email for a second. The Bible Boys with a Z at That's gmail.com. Right. Or you could uh, DM us on Instagram. Yes. Bible yes. underscore boys. Find us on WeChat. We're not on WeChat. We're not on WeChat. Are we still yet. on TikTok? Uh, we do have a TikTok. Fairly inactive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Anyway. Hey, um, this has been fun. Mm. Uh, Monday morning here at Moore College. We're about to go have morning tea. Mm. Uh, what, what class do you have today? Um, I have... Hebrew mm-hmm. and church history. Great. Yeah. What do you have? I have New Testament. Enjoy. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to getting back into the book of Ephesians. Nice. Um, looking forward to it. Listeners, thank you so much. Sorry, Pip, you were going to say something. I was going to say Jews or not Jews in Ephesians. Jews. Jews, definitely. Yes. And Gentiles. And Gentiles. Yes. Interesting. Uh, listeners, this together. Is to get reconciled in the one humanity, Jesus Christ. The... 
dividing wall of hostility broken down. Broken down for sure. 100%. That's right. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, as we're talking right now, I'm going, man, there are so many references to glory in Ephesians. We should have gone to Ephesians. I'm thinking about Romans 15, verse 6 to 7. Here's here's a question for another week. Yeah. Will there be podcasts in heaven? (laughs) Will there be iPods in heaven? Hmm. That's an that's an exit. That's a question. Will we be podcasting in heaven? I I don't know how to answer that question. I think the audio quality will be better in heaven. We do know that the knowledge of God's glory will fill the earth, and so maybe there will just be podcasts about how awesome God is mm. going all over the world. Because eternity is a long time. Yeah. And you need something to fill that time. <laughs> Why not the Bible book? No, no. Why not a million reruns of Seinfeld? Oh, oh man. Oh, man. Heaven is another topic for another day. That's right. And you keep using heaven. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? Like, where, where Jesus is right now? Are you talking about the new heavens and new earth? Why not talk about new creation? Anyway, fun times. Anyway, I hope your Monday is going well, everyone. <laughs> um, and I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Tune in next time and have a great week. Bye. See ya.